Welcome to the Successful Fashion Freelancer Podcast. I am Heidi, your host, and my goal with this show is for you to learn the tips and tricks that you need to be a badass freelancer in the fashion industry so you can have a flexible schedule and live the life that you deserve while still getting to do the work that you love. When I talk about freelancing, I talk about true remote work with a variety of brands on projects that you choose as opposed to air quote freelancing, which is how it usually occurs in the fashion industry where you work full time for a brand, but you don't get any benefits. And then after a couple months when the project is done, you're essentially unemployed again. That's not the type of work that I support or condone. It is very advantageous to the brand, but abusive to you as the freelancer. So for true remote work, which is how I grew my freelance career from $0 the first year when I had no idea what I was doing, there was no resources out there, up to six figures. This podcast is for you. I share all of the tips and the guests that I have share all the tips, how they have found the freedom and flexibility that they want in life through freelancing. All right, in today's episode, I am chatting with Paige Wilkins. Paige is one of my successful fashion freelancer students and she is kicking so much ass in the industry. She is charging upwards of $85 an hour doing work that she loves. She formerly was in New York City, you know, living the high fashion life, maybe not high fashion, but just living the big New York City life, pandemic, moved to Arizona where she loves having access to the outdoors, but there's like no fashion brands there. And she is now doing an amazing job getting freelance work and growing her career as a freelancer, doing amazing things and really, really loving the flexibility that she has in this newfound career. I'm so excited for Paige to share all the tips and tricks and insights with you. She talks so much about so many things that nobody ever talks about, um, specifically how and where she finds her clients. Uh, Again, the pricing, she talks about how she kind of figured out her pricing and her specific price ranges for various things as well as her hourly. Um, She talks about how she gets repeat work from clients and she talks about contracts pretty extensively, what she puts in there to protect herself, to make sure that she gets paid and so many things. Whether you wanna freelance on the side of your full-time job or you wanna go full-time as a freelancer, you can do it like Paige. Um, There's so many great insights in here that you can use to kickstart or grow your freelance career. I know you're gonna love this interview. Okay, beyond that, I wanna make sure that you have access to my best free resources for freelancing just for the fashion industry. Head on over to soheidi.com slash freelance to access those. You can click that direct link by scrolling down to the show notes as well as you'll find the other resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Um, Okay, I feel like I need to take a breath there. Uh, Let's see. That's it. Let's jump into the interview with Paige. You guys are going to love this. I know you are. Here we go. Welcome, Paige, to the Successful Fashion Freelancer podcast. I am super excited to chat with you and hear your story. Can you please start by introducing yourself and letting everyone know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Sure. Um, Hi, Heidi. Um, Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Paige Wilkins, and I am a freelance apparel um, designer. Um, I specialize in children's wear, but have also been um, broadening my um, experience into women's wear as well. Ah, okay, cool. So tell us about the start of your career in fashion. Where did it begin? Sure, sure. So I, um, so really it kind of probably helps to kind of give a little bit of (laughs) backstory into um, 
where I went to university because um, that kind of links into my really my job offer that I got uh, to come to the States. Okay. So I went to a school in the UK, uh, the University of Leeds, and I studied um, fashion design in industry, a BA. And um, when I was there, I in my last year of schooling there, um, the um, the the school really had a lot of companies come in to do recruitment and do company projects and stuff, just to really kind of you know fulfill the needs in our portfolios and kind of make them a bit more more robust and mm-hmm. to make us a little bit more um, you know just desirable. I think in in the market when you come out, it was meant mm-hmm. to be a very kind of practical exercise. Um, and um, one company, um, Abercrombie and Fitch, um, did a lot of recruitment um, in Europe um, at the time. This would have been, I think, oh, thinking back like twenty. 2012 2016 around that time okay um they um came to our school and they um kind of told us about their recruitment efforts and recruiting designers throughout the UK for um for assistant roles in in the states so they're based in um, Columbus Ohio um so um I remember kind of you know being really excited about the opportunity and being able to really primarily have a project for them um to be able to showcase in my portfolio so you know never never had the assumption of um getting getting a job out in the states but it kind of all started there and then um was um asked to come on an interview which um I then did in the middle of my last year at school um which I'm sure everyone can relate to was quite a stressful <laughs> busy time. <laughs> yeah. With with yeah, kind of final collections and dissertations. And then then they kind of offered um a few days to come out to the States to interview, um, which was, you know, such a such an amazing experience. But once again was just like, you know, great experience to take away from this and, you know, just have have that under your belt and kind of, you know, be able to use that, go forward. Um and then a couple of weeks later I then had a call with a job offer. Um, as soon as I finished school to kind of come out to the States and start with Abercrombie and Fitch in their kind of wow. designer program. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a, a real sh- shock. It was something that I'd never discussed with my family really. Or yeah. We'd never really even, you know, thought about. It was something that I, I truly had never even thought about, um, you know, traveling abroad to work or anything like that, but was was obviously just very excited by the opportunity and just didn't of course didn't even think to say no so kind of really said yes straight away <laughs> <laughs> broke the news to my to my family who were of course really really excited for me and um, they've always been incredibly supportive so so yeah so I um kind of accepted that job offer and then I graduated from school um and then had I think about two or three months to kind of um prepare and um, you know, um, get ready for for the travel, really, and just to kind of um, stay in the States. So the contract I was offered at the time to work there was two years. So it's kind of like, you know, an initial, we're hoping to keep you on, but your contract is two years to kind of come over and work with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so so did that and then flew over the end of that year um, in October. And then um, worked at Abercrombie & Fitch, yeah, for, for just over four years okay. there. Um, yeah, which was which was a really interesting and amazing experience. They have a great kind of program there um, for for designers and for for really all their kind of um, associates that work there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of um, they also too have a very um, um, I don't want to say regimented because that sounds a bit too almost formal, but they have a really well versed 
kind of management program there and they have like a real um kind of format into progressing their their staff and their team members into kind of excelling to the next step oh, cool. um, so that's something yeah which is great so it's something they really focus on so um uh, along with being obviously a designer and learning all about the creative side of the job and you know obviously designing um for for them and I worked um initially in women's wear for a few months and then actually got um moved over to kids wear which I instantly loved so kind uh. of yeah, yeah. So I started in women's and then went over to to children's wear. Um, I've always worked in girls. Um, and then there, um, I would say quite quickly, really, just with their, their program and the way they work, we um, kind of every every couple of years got, got promoted and then um, had designers kind of then work um, and report into us. And so you had kind of some great experience in the design aspect as well as working in such a big company and then um, management kind of like skills and um, experience. So, so yeah, um, worked on um, lots of the one-piece dressing for kids. So um, the dresses and the rompers and the jumpsuits and then kind of kept expanding um, with the product there. So ended up working on quite a few of their product. Um, and then um, about, like I said, just over four years later, I was offered um, a role at the Children's Place um, in New York. Which, okay, um, yeah. Was, yeah, which then that was super exciting because I was like, oh, I've always wanted to, to live in New York. <laughs> so, um, and I'd had Probably A big like, change from Ohio. Quite a big change, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Um, that um, was awesome. So moved over to New York. And then, so the children's space is actually based in Secaucus, New Jersey. So just over the water. But okay. um, I lived in um, in Manhattan. Okay. Um, and then worked on their toddler girl range uh, for them for about three and a half years. Um, and then um, in my kind of last year and a half with them, I then uh, moved over to head up the relaunch of Jimboree when they oh, yeah. went back in 2019. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, did that, which was which was incredible. Um, kind of worked with a, a new team and worked with um, like new managers and just kind of had the experience of really working almost with like a startup almost <laughs> that kind of um, journey with them, which the relaunch of that was just just a really big um, part of my career and part of my experience that I really cherish. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then from then I then went on to freelancing, and then here I am now. <laughs> here we are now, and you're you're in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, as we talked before we hit record, and you've mm -hmm. been there. You said about a, almost exactly a year right now. It's in uh, March yeah. 2021 right now. So you moved right in the pandemic at the beginning. <laughs> we really did. Yeah. Oh, um, that must have been intense. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, um, unintentional to move at that time. It yeah. kind of all just. But, you know, it's one of those things that all kind of fell into place. Yeah. Um, um, with that. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I kind of just went from there. So, okay. So tell me a little bit about, first of all, I want to know, like, what inspired the transition from working as an employee for the Children's Place or maybe even, you know, going on to work as an employee for another brand um, to instead going to freelance. And I don't know, like where, when did this happen at the same time that you moved to Arizona? Was there something that like made all of that change at once or how did, how did you transition to freelancing? Yeah. So, um, one of those things kind of, as I just said, it really, it was almost like a domino effect. It's, it happened so 
back in, I'd probably say December of 2019. Um, my partner and I were kind of looking at what the next step was for us and kind of, you know, um, where the location was that we would want to kind of settle down and start a family and you know all those kind of like life life conversations were starting to happen and um we we are really active kind of like outdoor um you know avid people so we we love to hike and travel and just be outside so New York is will always hold a special place in in my heart but we were looking for somewhere that was going to suit our you know kind of our lifestyle a little bit better so we could just like maximize that a little bit more yeah so we were kind of brainstorming and you know thinking oh we could be you know Colorado there's Arizona California like so many so many places where we could go um and at that point really that's when I was like you know there's so much you know opportunity out there to to be where we want to be um and that's when freelancing really kind of um cropped up and I was like oh I wonder like I had zero idea at the time about what it really entailed I don't really have any friends who um work freelance um I just know a few colleagues obviously that I've made over the years that have Mm -hmm. um so I was like oh let me just kind of you know do quick google search like (laughs) how to freelance and just you know really just gain some knowledge through like okay what does this really entail like what experience you know do you need to have what skill set do you need to have like is it one of my I think my biggest fears which I'm sure it is for many people is you know is this something that can be done remotely like Mm. are people successful doing this remotely because Mm. in in my history um anytime like from from working at the children's place in Abercrombie anytime we had freelancers they were always in-house they were it was like more of like the permalance role where it's like 40 hours a week and you work in-house but they don't give you benefits (laughs) yeah no exactly yeah yeah Yeah. which is like as a full-time staff or you just don't get any of the yeah 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 it's they call it freelance and fashion but it's and they call it freelance in many other industries but it's really it's um it's quite actually abusive and destructive to to industries um more to the to the people working in them we won't get into that but okay so you had seen this other side of air quote freelance and fashion but you were trying to figure out like oh gosh is this actually a thing that you can do like real true freelance Yes, exactly. I was like, can I really, you know, pivot my career and take everything that I've learned and everything I've worked, also worked really hard for, you know, like I really, we were so excited to kind of take the next steps and move somewhere that we could, you know, have a great life, but um, like outside of work, but I was like, you know, worked really hard to kind of achieve this, you know, career and achieve everything I have so far. And I would love for that just to kind of really translate into what I would be doing next. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really looking into it. And luckily I had a friend, uh, which was kind of, you almost need just like one person, don't you? Just a gateway to like chat to of like, okay. Um, she's, she's a graphic designer who I used to work with at, um, Abercrombie & Fitch, um, who went freelance cause she loved to travel. She went to Europe and lived there for a while and now she's in Australia. So freelance was something, remote freelance was something that she really relied on. Mm-hmm. So I spoke with her and yeah, she just kind of gave me like a, a really brief rundown of just like, these are kind of the pros and cons. Like, it's definitely possible. Like, I mean, she she was also very honest, like, you know, graphic, I know graphic design can be very different <laughs> to, fashion. Yeah. to uh, apparel design and fashion design, um, which I've definitely learned over time. And from, you know, obviously finding you, Heidi, was like a godsend. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I think um, she obviously was relating it to graphic design and saying, you know, but there is there is opportunities out there. You just need to work, you know, hard on your network and looking for them. And it's, you know, gave me all these tips. Yeah. So I was getting quite excited by it and, you know, it was a really diverse 
into a lot of research regarding it. So obviously, you know, I was working still full time at my current job at Gymboree and was just spending any free time I had possible, just like researching 24-7. It was kind of like became my bread and butter of like my personal life, really, which was yeah. fine. I, I It was something I was really excited about and something that would like help myself and my partner kind of, you know, move on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just doing a ton of research. And then um, we the pandemic hit. <laughs> in in March and um that was of course we were then worried obviously about the security of our you know full-time corporate jobs my um partner works in hospitality and was yeah. working in uh, yeah in in um food and beverage at yeah. City Field the, the baseball stadium in in um New York so of course we were both very nervous I mean definitely my partner more so about just the stability of our work so um heavily kind of I know he heavily picked up his pace of looking for for work um and then um we were able to travel out of New York just to kind of get away from the craziness that was happening during that March time so yeah really New York came the became the epicenter of the pandemic during that kind of middle of March yeah um so that kind of happened and then um, I think within about two weeks of that happening, I was then furloughed from my corporate job um, okay. with um, the children's place. Yeah. Um, and um, and then actually very shortly after that, I was then let go officially from the company. Okay. And due to the pandemic. Um, and then I think actually in the same week, my my fiance was then offered a job in Arizona. Oh wow. <laughs> so kind of <laughs> yeah, so kind of all those building blocks kind of like, you know, everything was kind of set up to be like, okay, well here you go. This path is kind of naturally just organically, you know, was you know, it's been paved for you. And it yeah. was like, oh wonderful. Okay. So I feel, you know, a bit of shock throughout all of it, because everything seemed for everyone, I'm sure. Just everything happens so fast. Like yeah. anyone else can obviously relate who's been been let go and it was it was a really conflicting feeling because I obviously you know put in um uh you know a lot of like my heart and soul into my job um at Gymboree and um just just re- I did really love it there um um but at the same time I was like you know really I was doing so much research on looking for like the next step in my career and what I should do so kind of all felt like it came you know naturally into place that this was kind of the next step for me so then I was you know straight on the on the train to then um working into a freelance career okay so like within a matter of weeks you so well luckily you had been starting to think about freelancing been doing some research maybe emotionally and mentally getting comfortable with the concept and the idea Mm -hmm. then pandemic hits you get furloughed and let go your partner finds this new job in arizona and within a matter of a couple weeks you guys move it sounds like you then move to arizona uh, correct. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> so there. then, so Just then like, were you like, okay, now I got to get the ball rolling on freelance. Like, where do I get my first gig? Is, is that where we're at? Is that kind of what happened? Kind of precisely. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what yeah, was that yeah, like? That what did you? I, mean, I was pretty pumped. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, yeah, I was like, okay, like, this is great. I feel like, you know, the stars have aligned. I've, I've received a sign that, yeah. you know, this is the right thing for me. And I was also so relieved that I'd like, you know, I knew, um, I knew lots of people had kind of um, said, you know, try and freelance on the side while you still have your full-time role. So yeah. I had a bit of panic where I was like, oh, I'm kind of reliant all on this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Full-time roles. 
but um I was thinking you know like okay it's it's fine I can go go deep into this and I'm happy that I've done some research but really I will say you know like kind of um really getting into it and physically starting and um building up the your like your contacts and your network is then makes it very real and it's like okay now it's kind of you know crunch time to, to make this this work yeah um so I would have to say I probably did the the thing you shouldn't do which I mean, is I'm glad what, I did it yeah which was you know <laughs> type up an email almost like a cover letter um very generic not not very personal but just you know a general like hey like I'm looking for work I have these skills I feel like I would really benefit a role within your company um etc etc like sincerely hope to hear from you soon page um and then kind of just then went on like a spree of researching just contacts everywhere and anywhere online I just like went on brands websites I was on LinkedIn I was on um, trade show lists and was just finding as like many names as I could and then really just sending this template email same one really more or less Mm. out to everyone and just kind of like changing the name at the Mm -hmm. top if I couldn't find a name, it would just be to whom this may concern. Yeah. Which I think is never a good sign when you have to just say to whom this may concern. Yeah. <laughs> to realize, because I'm like, you're not really talking to a person. Yeah. Or you don't even know who you're talking to. You're just kind of like, so I think I had that moment where I was like, okay, I think the best thing to do is just cast my net really wide, as wide as I can, and just see what I catch um, with this kind of, you know, very generic email that I, I had written. And I... To, to no surprise, received zero emails back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I was just like, oh, gosh, okay, well, that's that's not worked. Um, so, you know, dove a little bit more into, okay, well, I've worked in the industry for, you know, a number of years, about seven years, eight years. Um, let me reach out and see if anyone has any contacts. Um, so I was able to do that, and I received a few contacts from a few friends. Um, and this was actually a really good learning lesson for me too um because um I received some some messages back and some with some contacts who I who I did reach out to and I may have received one or two emails but again this was you know to give myself a little bit of credit it was a bit tough at the time because obviously the pandemic had hit many companies were letting letting go of their designers and amounts of their team so I think it was a really tough time to almost step into freelancing because um not impossible right so it's impossible but it was hard because I feel like trying to approach big companies with your services was just like a, a firm no I mean they were letting go people left right and center just you know be able to stay afloat yeah so, there were so many unknowns right in that beginning like March April period that it was just really hard really hard yeah, yeah. and I will say definitely in those first few months um and you know, we can attribute this. I think definitely I had a lot to learn in terms of my approach and my, um, the way I was kind of approaching the the situation. But yeah, yeah, I kind of feel like in that beginning, it would have been, it would have been lucky for me to have received kind of anything back straight away from that. Yeah. Um, So it was good though, because I took that time to kind of perfect my, my, approach and my emails and kind of the strategy that I was taking with my communication. Uh Um, uh, which was really good because then I kind of honed in and re- realized, you know, let me um, actually reach out to people that also because I was kind of also sending emails to like graphic design teams. And because at that point I was also, again, everything's, you know, whizzing around in your mind like, oh, I could pivot and go to graphic design because I think maybe <laughs> graphic designers have more opportunities at work because everyone really yeah, feels yeah, like yeah. 
Or I was on LinkedIn. I was looking at um, um, job um, advertisements, and they were all for graphic designers or web designers. There was none for apparel designers. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I should have been a graphic designer. And suddenly yeah. questioning, questioning suddenly everything about what I was doing, um, which again I'm sure many many people go through. But I was like, oh, it's such it's such a good time to pivot, maybe, and, uh, <laughs> especially at this time too. Like I had. Um, um, I became, you know, which I think was correct thing to do. I became a little bit obsessed with LinkedIn, um, <laughs> which is a great platform for professionals, I will say. Um, but um, lots of recruiters were offering um, kind of their services and, and performing webinars for free. So I kind of, um, that really helped. I took that opportunity at that time while the pandemic kind of hit and really work, I would say, was very, very slim um, and sparse. I kind of took the opportunity to, again, soak up as much, like, just informative information and advice as possible. So I was attending, I think, one or two webinars a week where they were, like, um, recruitment-led. So people kind of, you know, like, um, recruitment managers kind of online, like, letting everyone know like oh you know you could do this and do this and this is how you should outline um your skills on your resume and how to write a resume and how you should conduct a, you know um, an interview with someone and cover letters and kind of went through all of that so I almost went back to six with um my my resume and my LinkedIn profile and really protected that because I came came to realize quite quickly that LinkedIn um is such an amazing platform it almost should become your new social the top of your new social media really mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um so what was happening was instead of you know kind of in the in the evenings and mornings instead of scrolling through instagram and facebook and stuff i was like straight on linkedin and i was looking at you know people's profiles and just also lots of um um just projects are posted on there and lots of people's interests and works and announcements. So um, I became really engaged on there and that made a really big difference. Actually, I found that I was kind of connecting with, you know, the right people and some more appropriate people in the industry and kind of building up a bit more of a base where at least, at least I was getting noticed. Like I was, you know, um, getting emails from people a lot from, you know, manufacturers and factories and vendors and stuff, which um, I wasn't, um obviously needing at that time but again just good to see that I was kind of channeling the right messages and like getting the right um attention right Mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah go ahead no no I was just gonna say so that um was really helpful doing that um and then um I will say just again creating a more personal um kind of approach to then reaching out to to potential clients or just even to other contacts to kind of like see how everyone was doing was like um worked a lot better for me as well yeah okay so talk a little bit about this because I think this is um not I think (laughs) this is something (laughs) that a lot of people do right they create this generic templated thing, whether it's your cover letter or your resume or an email or a message on LinkedIn. And they just like, like you said, which I think was a great way to put it, like cast your net as wide as possible. Like I've always compared it to like, okay, well you're basically going and standing on top of a building and like throwing a pile of a thousand resumes off the top. Like what's the chance that someone below who you need to grab it is going to grab it. You're much better off taking the time to craft some personalized content to the people that you're reaching out to. And it sounds like, so, so your, your first experience was the generic and you got nothing back. 
Um, and given, you know, right, well, it was the beginning of the pandemic, which I think everybody was pretty silent in terms of the hiring front. Um, but that aside, it, that is pretty much what happens when people do that. So then you started mm-hmm. to get a little mm-hmm. bit more personalized, um, whether it was on LinkedIn or email or wherever, it doesn't matter. Um, and is that how you started to get some connections for some of your first projects? Yes, yeah, exactly. So I definitely took a kind of different um, um, idea of really thinking, okay, like quality over quantity yes. at this point. I was yeah. like, I think, you know, the, as you say, kind of casting the net, it was almost like a fishing net with holes in. It was like, I'm not yeah. casting the net. This is not the right strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, I'm, very, I'm one for analogies, so it kind of helps them. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I was just like, okay. Um, and yeah, it was just like really honing in on like making it a lot more focused and not in a panicked way, just trying to reach out in, um, in a kind of frantic way. So I, um, and also it's again, just trying to almost slow down and just re, you know, refocus on what your goal is and what your intent is. Um, cause also it's like, you know, if you were suddenly to get, if I was to get, which I didn't, but if I was to get you know, any emails back and say they wanted to work with me. It's like how, uh, if I, I probably would expect to not even have clients that, you know, too dedicated in, in finding a, in a good and experienced freelancer, because they might just be looking for someone that is, you know, available and willing to do the job for anything, you know? So I was kind of like, well, if I want, you know, quality clients, I need to provide like quality from my end as well. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so I actually, um, it kind of started really where, um, the ball got rolling for me really was, um, my, um, my fiance, um, at his new job, um, worked with someone in finance who he got quite friendly with and found out that, um, his wife worked in the finance department at a children's wear company in New York. Um, and I was like, Oh, amazing. Okay. And he was like, yeah, I think I can get, I'll get her email for you and then you can connect with her. And I was like, Oh, wonderful. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, um, got the, got the, got the email and then, you know, built up a relationship with this woman and just, you know, asked, um, about her and her experience and if, um, you know, she was aware of any opportunities. Um, and she, then was like, oh, um, you know, I'll pass you on to our design team um, that we have, you know, took, took a little while and then eventually got to speak with, um, well, actually what had happened is I thought I was going to be passed on to um, someone in the design team, but they'd actually given me the contact for the CEO. Oh. So I was like, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> Suddenly like, oh, I wasn't prepared for like the CEO. And also yeah, yeah, like, yeah. this is, you know, looking for someone a lot less, you know, just like head of design. But um, she was absolutely lovely. So zero again emailing back and forth sometimes some of our emails you know maybe one or two of them didn't even discuss even about an opportunity it was more just about you know getting to getting to know each other and for her to really understand you know where I was coming from what I was about and sending her you know portfolio samples um I also took the time as well to kind of really research the I mean I knew of the brand but I took some more time to really dig in and you know I spoke about their new set like of samples and talked about like their swimwear and how it had come a long way um you know really really to them and the brand and like what they're about yeah so Um, like you were giving them some thoughtful commentary yeah I think it's also you know people I think people can sense if you're if you're being fake or if you're being you know (laughs) or if you're just about one 
you're like, okay, I don't really have time to chat. I do have work. It's like, totally sense that. Yes, they do. Um, even in an email, I feel like it really is. Uh You can sense that. So, um, I, um, inevitably, um, unfortunately they, they said they did have, um, freelance opportunities, but they wanted someone in house, which was always kind of my, <laughs> okay. the doom of like suddenly the conclusion of what I always, the words you always don't want to hear is like, yeah. Oh, we, we love you. We love your work and we think but... you're great, but we need someone here, which is what I've heard a lot of. Um, so I was a bit, obviously a little bit bummed and I was like, Oh, okay. But you know, never, never leave off ever on a, on a bad foot with someone. Cause you just, I've again, really learned over time, just like to always, keep um keep on good terms with your connections and yeah. constantly networking with them because you never know what can happen yeah um down the line and it's always beneficial um which actually then leads me to what happened next so um she kind of you know graciously kind of said no um but then a couple of weeks later I think it probably was about three weeks later I had an email from um another woman that owned a small um, children's wear company who um, said that she um, received my details from um, Stacey, the CEO of this other company, oh. um, straight away was like, oh, we'd love to work with you. Um, we've seen the work that, you know, she's passed on to us. Um, we think you'd be a great fit. Like, let me know your availability and when you have time to chat. So it kind of then and then what led from there is then now me and this woman um uh Giza who worked for this children's work company um I've now been working for her for about six months and I'm, I've just finished the second collection um for her so amazing um, yeah yeah which is incredible so um and I still I keep in touch with Stacey and I thanked her for you know the connection and I kind of still um keep that relationship going um so yeah kind of like that was and this has happened a few times actually so a really great experience to kind of and really just to show and prove that like you know even if one lead might come to to a dead end or might come you know what you think might be a dead end then can like lead to so many other opportunities or lead to just other conversations and emails and like you know I definitely find in the fashion industry you know like contacts and word get around very quickly yeah (laughs) they do so many people know each other of, yeah. of, of others at companies. Um, so, um, yeah, even um, recently when um, I was talking with my real estate agent, um, she told me that her niece works at the North Face. So I've been talking with her niece at the North Face about some opportunities that they might have there. And, yeah, it's just like you – honestly, it's just like um, networking just has to be like your number one yeah. <laughs> focus, really. Um, yeah, so that was – that was, that was awesome. That's amazing. Okay. I want to like highlight a couple points that I think are really, really important that it's easy for people to, to miss. So dear listener, <laughs> think about these things. So a couple things that I love that you did was, um, first of all, like, okay, so you, you have background in the fashion industry, you have experience, you have a good base, but your first work and it sounds like even some work beyond that, um, your first client and even clients beyond that did not come directly through your personal network that you had already created from the very beginning, right? So this woman, Stacy, randomly came through your partner's, uh, the person at his work worked, I mean, like this really weird connection. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> very, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay. So first of all, you guys, there are connections everywhere. You just have to kind of talk about what you do, like in in a 
not like, hey, I'm like desperately looking for freelance work, right? It's it's just talk mm-hmm. about what you do and be open about what you do. And then it goes to um, stage two. And, and those connections can happen either one, randomly, like you experienced, or two, via you initiating conversations on your own, whether you're emailing people cold or reaching out to people cold on, on LinkedIn or getting introductions on LinkedIn or whatever. Um, but they don't have to come from your own personal-based network. And then two, what I loved that you did was when you got introduced to this woman, Stacy, you said you wound up having lots of emails back and forth with her. And a lot of them were not even about discussing potential opportunities. And and I think that what can happen is that when you are out there trying to get work, depending on where you're at in your, let's say your scale of desperation, like, and, and obviously if you really need money, like it, it gets to be very hard and you're like, I need some work, I need some work. And people read right through that stuff. And, and it's really hard to, to sort of just be a real person and have a conversation and build a relationship as opposed to be that person that is kind of there like, okay, but do you have any work for me? But do you have any work for me? But do you have any work for me? Right. And mm, so, yeah. right. It's so easy to, to get into that mode, but you didn't. And you guys had some great conversations and you talked about their range and gave them some compliments and maybe some ideas or inspiration or who knows what, um, but just some genuine conversation and then nothing happens and you walk away and you're like, that's fine. Great. We're going to still be in touch. Nice to get to know you. Then she passes you someone and you went back to her, the woman, Stacy, mm-hmm. and said, thank you. And I point yes. this mm-hmm. out because it might sound really obvious to some people, but there are a lot of people that do not go back and say thank you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I've referred. That's pretty important. It's really mm-hmm. important. I've referred people for freelance projects and then not heard back from them. And then three months later, the person that I referred them to said, oh, yeah, I went ahead and hired the person you referred me to. And I was like, oh, that's nice. They didn't even let me know. And so mm-hmm. guess who I'm not passing freelance work to again? <laughs> well, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's just about acknowledging and thanking the yeah. people that helped you get to where you are. Because again, you just never, you just never. It's not even really, you know. I think it, you know, tells tells a tale of like the person you are and you know that kind of thing. But also, it's just you know, you're you're breaking connections that you've worked hard to make. Yeah, as well. It's like you know, don't 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 let that fall apart by you know, or just like you know, taking advantage. It's like it almost feels like you know, you're taking advantage of people for for their, their, you know, their position or like, you know, that they're in and stuff. And, you know, I think as a freelancer, you really have to also depend on and nurture the relationships in your freelance network too. Um, just in terms of even just like other colleagues and even not potential clients, just, just people within within this career path, because it's such a hard, you know, so it's a really hard job and it's, you know, I think we, we, we need that solidarity together that, you know, we're all kind of, you know, in this together and that we're, we're, you know, being a part of a community that is respectful, (laughs) you know, again, you know, you want to, want to be able to do that for everyone. So, yeah. So talk a Uh, little bit, sorry, really quickly, can you talk a little bit about how you are nurturing those relationships? Because you commented earlier that you are continuing to stay in touch with this woman, Stacy, who referred you to this, this opportunity that you landed. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, what does that look like? Are you emailing her randomly out of the blue? And what do you even say? And then these other people who, you know, are colleagues that you're not directly maybe going to, you're not, they're not directly going to hire you. But like, 
what for you, what does it look like just kind of keeping these people in your, you know, we can say network. I think sometimes that word is like, ugh. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe in your circle, like, how are you keeping in touch with them? Like, what, what do you reach out to Stacy and say? Yeah, that's actually a really great question because I do sometimes worry about that when I want to, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, when you kind of, you have that fear of like, oh, I'd love to reconnect with this person or speak with them, but, you know, I can't, I don't really just want to say like, oh, hi, how are you? Because it's, again, that feels a bit impersonal and just yeah. a bit like, you know, oh, does this person need something? Yeah, uh, right, right, right. Um, yeah, I typically try and pick moments that are, you know, integral for 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 them, or at least for both of us. So, for example, I think um, like New Year was a good time. I kind of, you know, sent sent a few emails out to some of my um, some people in my circles and just kind of said, oh, you know, Happy New Year. Hope this year's, you know, a lot better for you than it was, <laughs> you know, last year. And yeah. um, again, really important, just like getting to getting to know them. So. I always, you know, again, like I would with friends and family, I, I like, um, I understand from them if they have children or if, you know, where they live and what their circumstances are like in and out of work. So then when I email, I'm like, oh, hey. Um, so I have um, a, a friend that I made over LinkedIn, who's now a really lovely um, kind of relationship I have with um, a woman um, who also freelances that has given me great advice. Again, I just reached out to her last year and I keep in contact with her. She lives in the UK and I'll speak to her and I'll, I'll, I'll remember that she has um, two, two daughters and that they go to school and school's kind of, you know, all shut down in the UK at some point. So yeah. I ask her, you know, how's homeschooling going? Yeah. I hope you're doing okay. I hope your family's well. You know, I try and always relate it back to something that's true of that person. So yeah. I reach out to um, uh, Stacey, for example. I, I knew they just relaunched, like, a new line. So I talked about, like, the new pieces um, I also follow the brand on Instagram. So mm-hmm. I talked about the recent photo shoot and how that looked like a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of, again, just try and always, always relate it, always relate it back yeah. um, in that respect. Um, and, um, and again, this kind of ties in a little bit um, with, um, might tie into another question you might have later, but with also just retaining um, clients too. And just, again, um, working really well with the clients that you're with and trying to get repeat work so most of the clients that I've worked with um thus far I've had repeat work with just because I um work really hard on on doing doing the best job I can for them and Mm -hmm. also just communication for me is like number one especially when you're a designer because you know you can work in house and you're you're there in person and you can kind of present yourself in the day do your work and then go home whereas when you work remotely I feel like you need to put in that extra oomph of you know energy and extra oomph of commitment to kind of show you know I can do this for you I'm confident we can make this work and if anything it's going to be a you know an even better um product and you know um relationship we're building because of this platform we're on um so um one of my clients has had a really rough time of it recently she lives in Dallas and so she went through all those kind of power outages during those really terrible and like kind of um the the lack of water so um I was checking in with her just to not to check in on work or if she'd reviewed something or you know like hey I have this invoice that needs to be paid or anything like that (laughs) even though all those things were true (laughs) I kind of backed away from mentioning that and was just like hey I hope you're doing okay with the storms like you know I hope you're all safe. And if there's anything I can do, let me know. Yeah. And she responded just, you know, thank you so much for checking in, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, you know, just built again, building that 
relationship um, like you know alongside the work that you're doing for them Um, and then additionally I saw on LinkedIn that it was her birthday the other day Ah. so again I emailed Again, most of our emails are all work-related, of course, because she's also very focused, which I love. She's very much like, yeah, approved, not approved, let's do this, <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. Um, but once in a while. So then I emailed her on her birthday and just said, you know, happy birthday. I hope you're having a wonderful day and celebrating with your family. Yeah. And again, I think um, I think that's just something where just going um, – you can say it's going the extra mile. I mean, I don't think it's too much just to send an email. It's actually relatively easy. But doing those small things, doing those small steps, I think really, you know, creates a great bond with your clients and yeah. just, yeah, I think kind of adds to the value of what you're bringing and adds to the value of your work. So, it does. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. They are. It's so funny because um, I've always called it this concept of like extra credit. It's like, what's the 2% extra that you could do above and beyond what you're air quotes, like work is, right? Your homework, right? If you think back to school Mm -hmm. and like extra credit was like, okay, this was the assignment, but what can you do to go above and beyond? And for some people, this comes very, very naturally. It's almost like going back to the, the, um, saying thank you, right? That comes very Mm -hmm. naturally to some people, other people, it just slips their mind. And, and so these are some of the same things too. Like sometimes it's just a matter of like being a real person and like, okay, well we have a relationship and it's work-based, but Hey, you're in this really terrible situation with the storms and you don't have water and everything's freezing in, in, in Texas. And so you reach out as a real person to say, Hey, I hope you're okay. And you reach out as a real person. You say, Hey, happy birthday. Hope you're having a great day. Um, those tiny little things, they go so far and, Mm -hmm. um, you're clearly visibly reaping the benefits of these, you know, these little I mean, like you said, going the extra mile or doing the extra credit, whatever it may be, um, you're reaping the benefits of those because you said your clients are coming back for repeat work, which is amazing. And that's Mm -hmm. a sign that you're doing a really good job. Um, I'm curious to know, so, so you got the first client through this random connection through your husband and the finance team or whatever. Um, then you said someone has a niece that works at the North Face and you're possibly talking to them about work. And so that came through a random connection as well. Where have some of your other clients come from? Um, so one of my, actually one client I have now who is, um, is wonderful. They're probably my favorite, um, projects I'm working on um at the moment they that was really interesting so that was um around the same time um that I was really um speaking with um Stacey and that team um so and this kind of leads into actually something that I did want to mention because I think it's really important okay um I was at a point where again I was just trying to get my creative juices flowing so I was doing again you're as a freelancer you know you have so many hats you know you're like your admin your HR your social media (laughs) manager your designer occasionally you know all that kind of stuff so I feel like for so long I was focusing on you know the the kind of networking side of things and building my resume and making sure my LinkedIn portfolio was like good to go so I was like oh I need like a bit of a break I need to do some more creative things so you know doing some small you know we can call them passion projects you know just kind of um, self-directed projects um and building my portfolio um and then I which I've never done before I created a project um 
for, well, actually, no, sorry, I'll backtrack slightly. Um, I was doing very small, almost like timed projects for myself for um, bigger jobs that I was definitely excited and committed to um, for. So I was, for example, um, for uh, Stacey, um, I did a very small project um, for her company. It was literally, again, I just wrote three basic um, um, elements that I included, a mood board, um, a print and color board, and then sketches. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. It was kind of like three main pages to really get the, you know, the co- the cohesive story across and just to um, showcase my skills in a very small snippet. That didn't take too much of my time. And so um, this so is, kind of- sorry, just to clarify, this is like at the beginning stages when you're first talking to a, a brand, in this example, you're referencing Stacy, but when you're just talking to the brand, you're like, hey, let me show you something specific to you that I could do and just giving them like a little bit taste of your potential potential right yes okay precisely yeah yeah, okay. yeah. and I think um because that's really important to um kind of quick side note like and um I definitely um, know you've mentioned this a lot which I think is so integral is you know there's no there's no point in going to a say for example you're applying for an active wear job role or an active wear um project for a client and you're showcasing them uh, woven stuff you've done or denim. It's but like, every you know, so that. many people do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I'm just, I just, I, I mean, I get it. I get it because yeah. I guess they're just trying to, sh- you know, you're trying to illustrate, you know, I can use Illustrator. Yeah. I can use I and look at all the things that yeah. I've done. But like yeah, Active yeah. doesn't care about your denim work. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's so, yeah, it's so important yeah. that like they always see it and get deterred, if anything, because they're like, oh, they're denim designers. Like, they can't do Active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, so, um, yeah, so I was like, you know, I was doing like very quick, like I say quick, obviously taking taking the amount of time I needed to make it like, you know, look the best it could, but just take time um, to do these projects that were appropriate to these these roles I was applying for. Yeah. Um, so there was, <laughs> and this is quite funny because the, the job was a bit crazy that I applied to, but this was when I think it was desperate times. Um, <laughs> I saw there was a position open for a graphic design intern because I saw that there was it was based in Arizona and there's really not many fashion jobs based here yeah so I was like oh wow an opportunity to maybe work in-house and like you know maybe I'm I'm a good um you know I could be a good candidate for them because I live here etc etc so I kind of did I put together um an activewear project which I've always been passionate about active and I've worked with knits a lot in my past but it's just been heavily directed towards children's wear anyway so I was like oh you know I'll do a self-directed project on this like activewear show them you know what I can do it was for an activewear company but for a graphic design intern role and I mean I I left the children's space as a senior designer yeah you're like really going back here (laughs) yeah really going back I was like "I'll, I'll do it I'll apply whatever um uh, you know, the crickets heard nothing from them once again. <laughs> but I posted this project on LinkedIn, and you know, I'd like it was one of my favorite projects I'd done. I put more time in it than I did my previous ones, and just you know, really, really focused on what um, what it entailed and just what the final product would be. And then through that, so heard nothing from this company. Um, but through that, I had someone reach out to me on LinkedIn and, and essentially just said, oh, hey, we've seen your work on this active work on LinkedIn. We think it's great. We'd love to um, speak with you. 
Um, so I had a conversation with them. Um, and from there, uh, we, there was a couple of weeks actually of like back and forth conversations about, um, they were a predominantly, um, denim based company, very, very successful, um, for many years in, in, the, in New York. And they were looking to launch an active wear line, um, and athleisure, I think, you know, <laughs> during the pandemic, lots of mm-hmm. lounge casualness yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exploding and doing amazingly. Yeah. So I think they're trying to, you know, jump jump on that train and be like, hey, we really want to get on this, and we're looking for, you know, some designers to help us help us design some some knitwear, casual knitwear and active. Um, so I ended up doing another kind of more specific project for them. Again, had calls with many of their team, from like the the VP to the existing design team, and you know, went through the, a really um, a really good and very kind of. Um, uh, I would say extensive kind of vetting process and then eventually um, got hired for, for the role and I've been working with them really ever since last October and they're honestly it's one of my my probably my favorite um, clients I work with now and I work with them on retainer so it's just now a constant and I just work with them from season to season. Which oh is, amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay okay I and, love the, how this project like randomly came about. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, really, the the kind of moral of this is that um, I I feel so many designers can get so nervous about um, kind of posting their work online. I yeah. think there's been a real um, kind of bad rep about yes. having online portfolios, yes. especially in my time. I remember when I first came out of school, and it was just it was obviously all all on paper, all in massive a one sized yeah 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 <laughs> portfolios um and it was just um you know online was never a thing and i think you know as we obviously um like the opportunities online grow and grow and i just feel like it's such an amazing platform to showcase your work um yeah i just i just feel like everyone gets gets very nervous about doing it because of course it's like well people can take your work people can you know copyright it and all this stuff and you know that's that's true like everyone can obviously see your work and people you know if you know they're not the nicest people or they you know don't have morals they'll take take your work and pass it as their own but I just feel like you're opening yourself up to so many more opportunities and so much positive mm-hmm. um potential outcomes yeah. from posting and in, and also I just see I don't I I actually love posting my work because I just feel like I'm really proud of it I think if it doesn't suit so, so for example, if I do a project for a company and it doesn't um, get picked up or I don't get the work from it, I still want that work to be seen and to be valued by a potential other client. Like, and that seems to be really like a lot of where um, my um, also almost like my successes come from is just from essentially doing these small projects and doing this work and it kind of going from from person to person and then being just being seen by the right people and yeah. then. It, snowballs from there yeah um yeah so um and again it's quite interesting because I got um I did get a comment from someone on LinkedIn like and what's nice lots of people comment and say wow looks amazing well done or you know like I had other people on that project I posted like reach out to me and like talk to me about the project and potential work etc and then I did get I did get the odd comment from one one quite seasoned I want to say seasoned designer (laughs) who's in the industry a long time that kind of said, oh, you know, you really shouldn't broadcast your work. Like it just gives people, like it almost gives people, you know, the right to just take it and you shouldn't do that. And 
and you know I, I respectfully at first I was quite like didn't know how to quite take that and I was like oh but I took took a moment to kind of you know think it over and responded respectfully just saying I totally understand you know what you're saying and where you're coming from and I really you know respect um your your belief in that however this is what I believe and I want to share my work and I think it's a I think it's a personal decision if you want to do that and I think I think it can be inspiring for for designers to see each other's work and I think this industry needs to be more transparent anyway Mm -hmm. and for people to connect more and just like you know build relationships with each other um to kind of you know get through that so yeah so yeah and I feel like like I said a lot of my kind of success in my current clients has come from um showcasing my work so hey listener quick 15 second announcement if you're ready to start freelancing and escape the corporate politics and bs visit soheidi.com freelance for my best free resources that's s-e-w-h-e-i-d-i.com freelance i will help you take back your schedule and your life now back to the episode Yeah. I think you're, it's, I'm really glad you touched on this point because it's so true. A lot of people do have this, um, and it's, it's often a warranted fear because work does get stolen in our industry, right? I will be fully transparent about that. That is a reality, but it's just kind of going to have to be the reality that you're going to have to live with. And I hate to like say it that bluntly or that harshly, but if you want people to see your work, you do have to put it out there and, okay, someone takes it and knocks it off. You know what? That's not the kind of brand you want to work for anyway. So that's fine. Karma's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, let them be on their merry way in the meantime. And, and, and that's unfortunate. And I'm really sorry to those people out there who have gotten their work taken and been burned yeah. in interviews where they do projects and then the brand takes them. I know this stuff happens, you guys. Um But I think that you have a really, really good attitude about this. And I have a similar attitude. Like, we have to put it out there. It's inspiring for other people. And some people are going to take it, and that's fine. They're not the greatest people in the world, and and let's just put them aside. But there are these brands that will see it, and you will get – you will see growth from this as well. It's Mm -hmm. not all going to just be stolen. There is value to putting the work out there and getting the exposure <clears throat> so I know it's it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you made a great point. Like I'm definitely not downplaying like, oh, it won't happen or if it does, don't worry about it. Like yeah. I'm, you know, it is, you're right. It's the, it's the reality of, of, of what we do in our industry. And I yeah. think it is, it's scary. You're taking, you're always taking a risk when yeah. you do it. I just, I just see it as I think you're, you're reaping the reward by, by getting you know a potential job out of yes. of it as opposed to being you know being you know just restrictive with with what you're doing so, yeah so true absolutely. so true um I want to talk a little bit you mentioned you have this client on retainer and I would love to talk a little bit about pricing and so because you went from you know working <clears throat> in, in full-time salary position to then diving into you know, freelance, you get this first client through this random contact. Stacy refers you to someone else. They hire you. Um, then, you know, you get this other project off of this LinkedIn post. Um, how did you approach pricing your work? Um, if you would share numbers, that would be amazing. If not, I totally respect that as well. Um, but I think it's something that we don't talk about enough, and especially in fashion, um, you know, do, 
what, how did you come up with this number? Did you do project? Did you do hourly? Did you just pull this number out of thin air? Um, what have you learned about pricing over the last few projects that you've done in the clients? And then ultimately, I know I'm asking like a million questions in one here. <laughs> ultimately, yeah. like, you know, how did you negotiate this retainer? Because I think retainers are really, really great mm-hmm. arrangements for both the client and the freelancer. But I know a lot of people, um, a lot of freelancers have some anxieties about even asking for a retainer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I can start with um, the last part of your question. Um, so really the retainer, it didn't start that way at all. I assumed, and I was very early in the stage of freelancing, I just, you know, kind of assumed it would all be project-based. Mm-hmm. I was always just prepared. I've kind of prepared myself for everything to be project-based. Okay. So um, <clears throat> I... But it's funny, though, because I don't think the client saw it that way. (laughs) I think they were thinking we're employing, you know, a a freelancer to kind of work with us, you know, when when and, you know, when and all the time we need them. Um, Whereas I kind of was very much on the path of I'm going to be doing multiple projects for many different clients. And so, you know, I'm not designating my time to one specific client almost. I didn't want to pigeonhole myself. Yeah. So if anything, I was almost a little bit adverse to doing retainer because I was like, oh, I want to be able to like make myself available to many opportunities that come my way. Okay. So I think that's um, definitely that's something I struggled with in the beginning for sure. Um, And pricing is always going to be hard. Um, And I I will say definitely um, your um, information, Heidi, has been really helpful. So I know you have your free resources and then I have – so your freelance um, book I have, which is great. So you give some tips on that, which I definitely followed. Yeah. Um, I also read – there's some other great materials. Um, I have a book um, called Freelance and Business and Stuff. (laughs) (laughs) um, It's these uh, two women, Jennifer – Jennifer Hood and her sister who own a graphic design company. Anyway, they kind of, it's again, very similar to kind of your content, but on a, on a graphic design basis, just, you know, how do you work out your, your hourly or your project rate? And it just, again, there's so many, there are, I will say there are resources out there to understand it. Um, but really take it all with a pinch of salt because <laughs> what I've learned is you can try and absorb as much information as possible and try and make the right move straight off the bat. But you're only really going to know and learn after just time yeah. and time of doing it and just experience and repetition yeah. of doing it. Um, so again, I feel really fortunate because thus far, touch wood, I've had really great clients and, you know, I feel like I've priced accordingly I mean I feel like there's you know I think that there has been some areas where I feel like I've I've under undercut myself slightly but again it's all experience um and I will say that is one thing (laughs) working um even though I consider myself an experienced designer because I've been in the um working as a designer um in the industry for nearly nine years now ten years um freelance is such a different ball game because you are having to you're having to determine what your income is what your rate is you can really make it whatever you need it to be yeah want it to be um but what I was trying really hard to do was essentially the components to make up my hourly rate were working out you know probably most importantly what do I need to to live on like what's the kind of like minimum wage that I could charge per hour um and definitely make sure you incorporate um um enough for taxes too yeah. that's definitely something especially now we're coming in tax season <laughs> in tax season now um it's something that um i probably say i didn't account for accurately and it's something i'm going to um retroactively you know correct go forward 
Um, but um, definitely account for like, you know, all those kind of hidden charges and hidden fees that you don't even think about. So obviously your, you know, your self-employment tax and your state tax and all that kind of stuff. And then um, also with um, a full-time job with benefits, you are given PTO and you're given health insurance. So I think it's really important, especially the PTO part, like whenever you're taking time off, like making sure you're incorporating a month, uh, sorry, not monthly, a hourly rate or a project rate that accommodates for if you need to take a day off for anything, you don't feel like suddenly you're then, you know, behind in in your rent or behind in anything because you missed a day. Yeah. So, you know, try and make sure you're incorporating like those kind of things in there, which was, um, you know, really useful. And I kind of almost like I worked backwards. So worked out, I think this was for my hourly rate. I worked out what I wanted to make annually. Um, and then I divided that by the number of weeks I wanted to work in the year. Um, and then also, like I just said, and kind of <clears throat> tried to, you know, figure out as well how many PTO days I wanted out of that. Um, and then divide that by the amount of days in the week. And I think it's almost like, again, just like going down, 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 how many days I wanted to work and then how many hours in the day I wanted to work. And then that kind of um, you're able to then figure out. Um, your hourly rate so um, I did that and then it depends I've worked project rate and hourly rate with different clients okay which is really nice because I think what's good about that too if you have the obviously if you have the um, the opportunity and the luxury of being able to you know give diverse pricing structures to different clients um, you can compare them and kind of take take notes on like what works with one and what doesn't work with the other and kind of you know apples to apples yeah really smart so yeah, yeah. So um, I'm working, um, I kind of do both. So what I found, and when, when I'm figuring out my project rate, all I do is so I know there's certain freelancers, which uh, works really well for them. And I think it's nice if you can do this is they have a price per garment, or they figure out how long it takes them to do, you know, design a garment from from start to finish, including tech pack and development and colorways, and then charge, you know, that way. Um, I purely charge if I do project rate, I just, I've figured out by now, I mean, I have that luxury because I've worked in the industry for this long is I know how long it takes me to do certain things. Right. Um, so I accordingly, I just essentially, I go through, I get the brief from the client. I find out, you know, how many pieces they want. Do they want my concept services? Do they need my color palette services or do they just need sketches? Like every client is so different. You know, you kind of have to really adapt as you go through. I don't really have a set formula for everyone because sometimes people come to you and they're like, oh yeah, we need, we need everything. Like you need to do everything for us. And I kind of have to say, well, I do this, this and this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Or they come and they're like, oh, hey, we have we have sketches and we, we know we want A, B and C. We just need you to kind of CAD them up and need tech packs. So, you know, I kind of, um, try and try and price that like to their needs and not, you know, overcharge, you know, for, for things that like some people don't need, need those services for. Um, so, so yeah, so I work out what their needs are. I work out how long that will take me. And then I just charge the project rate based on that. Um, and within the project rate, I always make sure to include rounds of revisions. I think that's 
really important. Yeah. Uh, especially as well, again, like I said, everyone's so different and you just kind of have to like, you really need to read the room. Um, so I work with quite a few startup brands. So I 100% make sure there's revision rounds. And <laughs> Otherwise so they'll revise like over and over and over and over. And you're like, oh my God, you did a project based the next thing you know, you've worked so many extra hours. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. And it's so hard as well when you're in the yeah. flow of it yeah. and you're in this journey with them and you're like, oh yeah, I can change this and change that. Before you know it, you're like, oh no, like, I've, I've already done this. It's like, oh, I, I kind of, I said one round of revisions to, to um, stay within their budget. And then before I know it, I've done three rounds and yeah. I'm like, okay, fine. But I'd like, you know, I can't do any more. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to speak up at that <laughs> point. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's a learning curve and it's, it's good because you will you will figure that out the hard way suddenly when you're like oh I've spent all this time and I've only gotten this much money out of it like was it really worth it you know yeah. you start to you start to understand worth the effort and what's not um but but yes um and um so lastly with the project rate too what I think is nice for the project rate if you can get that with your clients is that um you can break down for them, you know, like week by week, what the kind of milestones are. I set my set my my um, each of the stages as milestones, and that's also when I set my payment for. Mm. So I'm like milestone have to confirm, and I also say I don't move on to the next milestone until everything's signed off. Mm-hmm. So I have kind of like the concept and trend and color confirmed, signed off, then design development signed off, and then final tech packs. Because um, you know, I never ever will allow my projects to get to a stage where we're at tech pack stage and they're like oh actually go back I think we want to change this color yeah in the palette <laughs> and that's changed like 20 styles in, yeah, in the yeah, line yeah um, or like oh we, you know, actually I don't like the sketch anymore we're going to change it and it's like well we signed off on the sketches and you know I'm, I'm never that kind of person to ever be like outright no but I'll always 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 say hey you know I, I say it in you know quite a positive sense and I always try and give solutions I'm always a solutions focused you know um, orientated um person so I'll say hey you know no problem I can do this for you but it's going I'll have to charge you my hourly rate to make these edits or these updates because we've now gone past you know the the scope of the the uh brief yeah um and um oh gosh I could probably talk forever about this but um and something that um I did a lot of reading up on and took time but it's 100% 100% worth it is get get or create you know however you want to go about it a really solid contract and brief template because I feel always really protected and really safe and really confident about any time I proceed with a project or a client because I worked really hard on making sure I had all the right verbiage of like what the the projects entailed for us yeah so you know how rounds of revisions like if you were you know to go past that, I charge my hourly rate and my hourly rate is this much and, yes. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I have all these kind of conditions, you know, like it, for example, if something were to happen to, you know, myself or I had to end a project early or, you know, even the rights of the the work and when it gets signed off. So I have a clause in my contract, which says the work is under the ownership of myself until I receive full payment. Yes. So I might jumping from topic to topic so I apologize no no no, you're fine we actually I actually did an interview with a lawyer um who we talked specifically about freelance contracts for the whole hour we'll link to them in the show notes and we talk exactly about that and I do know a designer who um has actually had to 
threaten that clause because they weren't paying her. And she said, fine, I own the designs. And I think she wound up, they paid her, and it was a big project. It was like seven or $10,000, and she got paid because of that one line in her contract. And, like, it doesn't yeah. have to be this, like, formal legalese, like, lawyer speak. It can just be something simple, like you said, is, like, I own the rights to these designs until payment is made in full. Um, oh my gosh! Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we'll link to that episode because it's um, it, it expands a lot upon some of the stuff that you're talking about right here, which is really really valuable stuff. Um, I think it, it can really. We talk about this in the in the interview with the lawyer. Um, her name's Andrea Sager, but it can really be easy to get very consumed with some of this stuff and be like, oh mm. gosh, what if I don't protect myself? What if they don't pay me and all this other stuff? And I think that sometimes. Um, like you said with the pricing stuff, you just got to get started. So you could research and research and research all day long how to do this thing and this thing and that thing and all the different steps of freelancing um, and consume all the content. But at some point, you just have to do it and learn it. And of course, yeah. you don't want to do a project and not get paid. Like that's terrible. I, in my career, I actually never had that happen um, mm-hmm. over a decade. And I know a lot of other freelancers are in similar situations where they've had great success with payment. So um, I say that with a little bit of a grain of salt of like, I don't want people to freak out because I think a lot of things people freak out over freelancing is like, oh, some like the business side of it and mm. and they can just spin their wheels so much that they don't actually ever do anything, um, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's a, a really good point actually because um, I know when I was downloading and again, it's, you know, I'm definitely a student of Google, I will say. <laughs> so it's like, you know, Google everything and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah you know, look up, you can easily find, you know, like con, on contract like templates um, in, in your field of work. Yeah. I mean, I definitely found some which were quite intimidating because it was a lot of yeah. verbiage that I did not understand. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to do at first, I was kind of like, write almost like write, starting to write it down like verbatim and I was like hold on if I can't understand yeah the language that's in my own contract how am I going to be able to enforce it if I feel like someone has breached it yeah 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 <laughs> Um, so I kind of then really pared it down and just took the essence of what the clause was trying to say and just wrote it in my own words. Cause I think that's a, that's such a valid point is like, I, and I honestly, I experienced this, which is why I feel like I can say this is you can just get almost a bit paralyzed by, by fear of too much information thrown at you yeah. and just think, oh my gosh, I'm just not equipped enough to even start this or just like, I don't know enough to even get going. But yeah. I think the, the yeah exactly what you said I think just start just start and get going and you'll learn the lessons as you go through yeah and um I mean if you're super super fortunate and I mean I'm really happy for you if this happens if you in your first one to three clients you land like a ten thousand dollar or something project then that's phenomenal and then obviously your contract probably you know is definitely um something you want to make sure you have and is suitable for that need but typically your first few projects might be you know like you know still valid money but they're hopefully not you know as imperative as yeah a if you don't smart. <laughs> yeah 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 um so you'll learn that as you go along because yeah I don't think I didn't make my contract or send that off to clients until after like two or three very small projects I had okay I'm um, glad that you yeah. you clarified on that because yeah you guys you can get started like tomorrow you don't have to have all this stuff in place <laughs> yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah um 
can I put you on the spot and ask you what your hourly rate is or was? Maybe it's changed because you went through a lot of detail in terms of how you calculated it. You didn't just arbitrarily pick a number out of the sky. And based on all the detail and thought that you put into that, my gut says it's not that low of a number. And I would love for us in the fashion industry and freelancers to start sharing our numbers a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. So can can I put you on the spot with that one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hmm, it's it's one of those things where um, this might this might be a bit of a strange answer. So you can let me know if it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tend to. Uh, and you can let me yeah know if this comes across wrong but um I tend to vary it and I mean that in the sense of so for example I worked with um a um actually my old company Jimboree I freelanced for them for a while oh, um okay. in December just it was just worth a while it's for a month they needed some help yeah um which was great so I was able to work with my old team again and kind of work with them um but that was based on a, a nine to five, um, kind of role. And, um, they, um, it was, yeah, just again, like there would be some times in the day where they would be like, Oh, we don't have anything right now, but we'll let you know when we do. But I was still, you know, still getting that nine to five kind of hourly rate. Oh, um, okay. I worked with them. But okay. and then again, so my hourly rate with them was much lower than I typically would. And I actually very recently, um, had, um, an opportunity come up for a very similar, type of, of, um, working, you know, experience that was offered to me with another company that was actually for a really good friend of mine, but the rate of pay was even lower than that. And I actually turned it down because okay. I said, even though it's kind of confirmed work and it's, it's, um, you know, it's like they wanted, uh, it was like a three month contract. They wanted me Monday to Friday, nine to five, okay. kind of almost like that in-house. The permalance kind of role. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like a permalance role. So in respect, you're getting paid, I guess, well, but you're, you're getting 40 rate. hours a week guaranteed yeah yeah, you're guaranteed 40 hours exactly yeah so um when it came to that I do accept lower but like I said I very recently actually turned down a role like that because it just was too low and Mm -hmm. I couldn't really justify you Mm -hmm. know like also because it's you're dedicating then full-time to a company and you're potentially turning down on work um so there was that and then um for actually and then that's that's interesting to note too because currently I know I talked a lot about project-based work um, one of the clients I work with currently, um, I do on an hourly rate and that works really well. Um, but they tend to only need me for maybe probably if I work it out like three days out of the week. Um, so I, again, to kind of compensate for, for the, my income needs, I kind of charge, I probably charge them what I would want to charge. And then there's, um, another client I have who, again, needs me on certain days during the week. And then I do a little bit more for them. So I kind of am creating a lot more of like the the concept and trend and then working all the way through. So then I charge them, you know, kind of, it's, it's, does that make sense? That's probably Yeah. Sorry. No, it's not a weird answer at all. And I think it totally makes sense because I think that um, there, you know, it's like, I mean, I hate to relate. Well, okay, this is actually maybe not a terrible analogy, but like, if you go to the grocery store and you buy one head of lettuce or one gallon of milk, it costs, you know, $2 or $5. But if you go to Costco and you buy a five pack of mm. lettuce or like a three pack of milk, it's a little bit cheaper. And so I think there's, there is something to be said for like 
as a freelancer, adjusting your price in bulk, it's like, okay, if you're going to give me this much work and it's kind of guaranteed and that's how you want to, you know, create the arrangement, then Mm -hmm. I I think it's totally fair to adjust the price accordingly. Um, I don't know why that was the first (laughs) analogy I thought of shopping at Costco. (laughs) No, that's honestly, yeah, Um, that would have, that would have been my analogy. Yeah. And that's actually quite a good one. Yeah. So yeah, I hope that's not too vague. No, it's not too vague at all. Yeah. Would you be willing to share a range? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of ranging. So probably my lowest would be, um, like 55 and that's kind of my like lowest Uh I would ever go to. And again, that's kind of probably on that guaranteed 40 hour a week type thing, which I don't typically wouldn't really commit to go forward because I think it shuts off opportunities to other things that also I'd kind of like rather be doing because at these kind of 40 hour a week jobs you are doing, you know, you're helping your tech packs or help sketch other things rather than like leading the way in, in a project for someone where you're heading it up, which I really enjoy that that part of the work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, low is 55 and then I do go up to um, 85 right okay. now. Okay, wonderful. That's mm-hmm. amazing and I really love hearing this. Um, hey, do you, um, how do I want to phrase this? When you're at that upper peak of, you know, let's say maybe 75 to 85, um, what is the reaction from the client when you start talking about pricing? So it definitely, I have had a mixed bag for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I think it's just, it depends on the client's needs. Mm -hmm. And I try, I will never really, I'm not one, I've kind of, uh, I've, I've kind of stood my ground with myself and I've had to kind of enforce this, especially when in the beginning I was like, I just need any work I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to <laughs> uh, enforce, enforce this, this wage because it's, it's tough because I was new to freelance. So I was kind of like, oh, should I be, you know, in that lower range of like, I, I know of really talented freelancers who are charging in like the 30 to 40. I range, know. And I think they're way under. And this is why I really and was I just, pushing you to, to share some actual numbers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm happy to because I think we need to we need we need to support each other in that sense because um so many people can just, you know, say, Oh, well, I can go to this designer and she's offering to do the same thing, but like this much money. Yeah. And my response to that really is like, Oh, well, I'm really happy for you then. Like you can go with them. Like, you know, I'm not I'm not yeah. I'm not fighting you know, for, I mean, if it's that important to you that you want to get the lowest cost possible, yeah. then I appreciate that that's your main imperative. Like, I'm not judging anyone for that. I mean, obviously, yeah. everyone has a budget. Yeah, but and I'm, that's just not, not your client. Yeah. Fit. yeah, yeah, it's just it's not my job to fit myself in. It's like it's like fitting a square peg into a round hole. It's yeah. like I'm not going to try and force myself. But like I said, kind of what I touched upon earlier is that um, I try to as many – I mean, sometimes it is just a flat out no, but I try not to – um, always just say no I always try and come up with some sort of solver solution so I don't really I don't typically negotiate my rate well what I'll do is with um, a project rate I'll obviously outline everything for, for them and like I mentioned I have revision rounds in there if they're like oh it's just you know they'll come back to me and they'll say oh it's just like, like and I totally respect and appreciate when people just say oh I just that's not within our budget mm-hmm. um, and then they might ask is anything you can do And what I'll say is, oh, absolutely, like I'm happy to revise the proposal for you. Um, And then what I do is I'll I'll rewrite the proposal and I'll take out certain portions of the services or 
re you know kind of take out the revision rounds yeah and then i'll recap to them hey i can now do it for you you know at this price which is you know maybe like a hundred or two hundred dollars less than quoted um <clears throat> but however you know this will get you 12 pieces instead of 15 and it entitles only one round of revisions right per per milestone yes so at the beginning I might have had two or three so what I do is I'm like hey so here's the price for you I'm happy to you know I'm happy to proceed with you here on this um but I try and make it again knowledge is power and communication yeah. is power. so I'm very 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 clear I'm very I feel like I, I hope I'm very personable and I'm polite but I'm very clear on these are the facts I can do this for you I've removed this rounds you have this now yeah if that's the thing you can accept then wonderful let's proceed and then what I do because I've done that I've done that for a client and it's actually Luckily, it's worked well because <clears throat> the um, her budget was um, something that was really a big kind of um, constraint for her. But she was very open and honest about it, but really wanted to work together. So I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then when it got to a point in the project, which is inevitable to happen, we kind of started to surpass, you know, the, the revision rounds or the amount of styles I said I would commit to for mm-hmm. her. Um, and what I end up doing is just saying, hey, um, you know, I've, I've, and I tend to overdevelop anyway. That's something that I definitely <laughs> need to work on. I think probably just from my experience in the industry, like yeah. you're so used to doing like 50 versions of one sketch. Yeah, for yeah, them. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I think I just have that ingrained in me to yeah. like do like way more rounds than I need to do or just give too many options. But I don't mind that. It's fine because I'm, I'm, I'm very quick, so it's fine. But um, I gave her so many options and then there were probably about 20 designs that she loved. And I, I didn't, I didn't come back and say, oh, well, no, we agreed to 12. I just came back and said, oh, that's fantastic. Just to let you know, though, these um, these eight additional designs will have to be charged on my hourly rate because we did agree upon 12. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of, I try and give options. So I just say, hey, we can either proceed with the 20 and you'll just pay me per hour, go forward for the tech packs that I'll do for the eight, or we can go back to doing 12. And then yeah. she, she ended up saying, oh, let's just do the 12. She was okay. fine with that. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how Yeah. It's and I think, you know, those are those can I'm not gonna say are, those can be hard conversations to have. It can feel very intimidating, I think, as the freelancer to be like, oh, well the brand, the client, the design director, whoever is the person in in control here, the person in power, and I'm just the freelancer. And like, if they want the designs, I'm just not going to say anything because I'm not going to stand up. And, and I think that, again, this can sometimes come back to just your, your personality and your character type in general. But I know that a lot of freelancers struggle with those conversations like you just had, where they might just be like, okay, well, I guess I'll just let her take all 20 designs. Um, (laughs) yeah, right. Um, and so I think it's just a matter of, because it can feel very scary to have those conversations about pricing or about the project itself of like, oh, well that actually wasn't included, you know, and it's like, how do you say it? What do you say? And I think it's just a matter of like, you know, the conversations get easier over time, but just having an open, honest conversation. I'm really excited that you love these extra eight styles. It was super fun to develop them. Um, I just want to give you a heads up that it wasn't actually included in the original proposal. So if you want to proceed with it, we can. And then just explaining what that would look like, which it sounds like exactly what you're doing, which is great. But a lot of people I think struggle with that, um, that exact, just getting put in that situation. Um, 
But I'll throw out there really quickly, too. I did an interview a while back. um, We'll link to it as well with Hillary, who I'm blanking on her last name right now, but she, Hillary Glenn, actually, I think it is. And she has a very successful freelancer, and she had a similar strategy as, maybe it's not even a strategy, but um, she used it as a strategy, but did something similar to you. She would overdevelop. And mm. whatever styles they adopted, they adopted. But she said even if they had agreed to like four styles and she would develop like maybe six or eight and give them those ideas. And she said almost without fail, a lot of her clients would choose one or two extras, which then turned into extra paying work for her. And so, you know, like this example you gave, she did not wind up adopting those other eight styles. So that's fine. But I guarantee you that you will have clients that do adopt them and that creates more work for you, more paying work for you. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) no, no, that's um, such a great point. And yeah, I just, it's just trying to see everything you're doing as um, really, I kind of compare it to, you're like, (laughs) it's quite funny, almost say it as like um, sowing the seeds to to everything. So it's like nothing is ever wasted. I like found this I found this out and and love this because it helps me kind of you know on tougher days but really anything you don't use or anything you feel is wasted really isn't because all you're doing is sowing the seeds to then you know what like you know eventually come to growth in the future or you know you're nurturing something that's just going to propel into something you know great go forward so for example these designs that weren't picked up by my client I said to her no problem. That's great. Cause also firstly, I didn't have to develop those extra eight tap packs, which I was happy about. <laughs> um, but then I was like, again, it's just always evolving the conversation and putting a positive spin on it. So I was like, Oh, okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, for the feedback I'll get going on those tap packs. What I'll do is I'll keep these in a bank of like a library for us so that we can utilize these or work from them. Yeah in future projects (laughs) so then you know you're kind of almost like planting the seed of like you know next time we work together or like in the future we can use these because I know you love them yeah but you can't essentially like afford them right now yeah like let's let's hold on to them and I'll hold on to them for you and we'll use them so smart yeah and if you don't work with them in the future then you just I always find I don't know if other designers find this like sketches I just I keep all in a folder and then I can if they're not used for a specific client because obviously I won't ever repeat work for for different people right but um I'll anything unused and again that's in my contract I stay anything any development unused for final production is still my property and I can yeah to my my you know for my work as I as I as I please yeah which is really important and so I then can then use that work for another client or another project, yeah. another self-directed yeah. project. They then just want to use as promotion. Um, so yeah, I kind of feel like it always it always gets used for something, and like it always the hard work never gets wasted. Is kind of my my look on it. Well, yeah, and like the, if we go back earlier into our conversation, you know, you had the the conversations with um, her name was Stacy, right? Mm-hmm. The gal at the New York brand, um, and. <clears throat> you could have easily have walked away from that and been like, oh, I just wasted a few weeks and a bunch of email correspondence and a lot of effort. And maybe, and I think you said you even maybe did a little project for them. I can't remember. And yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and you could have felt like that was wasted, um, but it didn't. It wound up turning into another referral that turned into a project. And then you did this other project for this other brand that didn't get adopted or the graphic design thing that you applied for randomly, the graphic design <laughs> internship as a senior designer. Um and then you post on LinkedIn and that turned into like one of your favorite projects under retainer. And I mean, 
these are seeds that get planted and not everything grows, right? Like not every seed, like if you've ever started a garden, I actually last year for the first time tried to start growing vegetable plants from seed. It's really hard, oh, you guys. Yeah. It's um, so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't now because we have too many deer at our new house, which I'm not complaining about the deer are amazing, but definitely won't be doing any gardening. Um, <laughs> but not every seed will grow, but some of them will, and some of them will turn into really, really hardy plants, and some of them will turn into little teeny little twigs, and they'll kind of try to survive, and they'll die. But, um, but right, you just have to constantly like tend to the soil, and God, I'm getting so cheesy here with this analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I led you into that. You kind of did. I'm pointing the blame back at you on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, no. And that's exactly it. Again, to kind of add to the cheese, I, that's exactly, and it's kind of a motto I use to almost like, you know, get me through harder days. Yeah. What I've been doing is emailing and I don't hear much back. It's just having the belief that your hard work, sorry, my voice is now disappearing. That's okay. It's just, yeah, believing that, you know, if you like kind of almost back to what I was doing in the very beginning of my freelance journey of just sending out all those emails that got nowhere is you can't, you can't, um, expect to plant a ton of seeds and then just walk away. And then the next day come back yeah. and see like a veg like apple tree. Oh my God. So you're so like, right. Yeah. It doesn't feel that way. Like if you want to, you know, try, if you want a seed to survive and actually grow and thrive, like and give it the best possible chance, you have to like nurture it. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it takes a bit of time too, because I think it's really, you know, I think some people go into this with the mindset of like, I want to be a freelancer. I'm going to send out 20 emails and like next week I'm going to have my first project for like $5,000. It can happen. People mm-hmm. do have oh, crazy success really quickly, but chances are it takes a minute, really longer than a minute. It takes a few minutes because, you know, it <laughs> yeah. brands and, and clients and people that do the hiring, and I understand this a lot better now that I'm in a position where I, I hire a lot of freelancers. Um, it takes a while for the hiring person to – you got to figure out budget and you got to like get all your ducks in a row to get the project organized. And sometimes you catch them right at the right moment and they're like, oh my God, I needed help yesterday. Here's all these things. Yes, let's do it now. And that's great. But sometimes it takes a while just to get everything organized and like ready to go. Um, And so just continue nurturing those seeds. Like you said, just continue like having those conversations and being a real person with them. And so that you're top of mind when they are ready to pull the trigger on the project, whether that's in a week or three weeks or three months, or even like two years later, right? Mm. Projects Mm -hmm. come to fruition or people come out of the woodwork to like hire you way down the road. Um, That's happened to me a lot. I know other freelancers I've interviewed on the show, it's happened to as well. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. And actually, that is a really great point, because also, I this was definitely a lesson I learned, um, is um, don't be afraid to keep emailing someone if yeah. you want to. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. they want you to stop, they'll tell you. Yeah, they will. <laughs> they'll be. They'll come back and say, can you stop emailing yeah. me? I mean, that's, ne- that's never happened, luckily, to me. Yeah. I've just either just been ghosted or, <laughs> again, to just, again, just to um, not be also not to take anything up front um, as a no because um, and what I mean by that is if you send out an email or you you know respond to someone and then you don't hear a response in what you consider a timely manner 
I, I used to be like, oh, you know, hands up in the air, like, oh, okay, well, they don't, they don't obviously don't want me. They don't want to contact me. They don't like, you know, that's that. But I mean, if you kind of roll reverse all that, like how many times have you forgotten about an email or how many times have you said, oh, I'll email them back tomorrow. And then you haven't like, you kind yeah, of yeah, always yeah. have to give people the benefit of the doubt. And then, oh, you know what? I'd say nine times out of 10, I've emailed someone a second or third time thinking, oh, they're clearly just like, you know, ignoring me. But then they respond and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I meant to email you. I just like, forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I just forgot. And yeah. you just think, oh, actually that is quite a normal thing. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny. I use the example in, in, um, my successful fashion freelancer course. I talk about this a lot. I'm like, you guys, my mom emails me and I forget to reply. So like, (laughs) think about, you know, when you're emailing a prospective client or, you know, whether it's a warm email or a cold email or it doesn't matter, like people are busy and they forget. So give them the benefit of the doubt and give them a couple opportunities to reply. It doesn't mean that you hound them and be like, hey, do you have any freelance work for me? Hey, do you have any freelance work for me? Yeah. Right? You have to like <laughs> choose your tone and your words carefully. Um, but yeah, you do have to follow up. Yes. Yeah. And there's um, a great company, the the Business of Fashion. I mm-hmm. was um, attended a few of their webinars um, um, back in the middle of last year. Um, which were great. And they, again, it was lots of kind of advice from recruiters and just, you know, when you're job searching or in an interview, how you should, you know, best practices, et cetera. And um, one of them mentioned, um, I hope I'm quoting this right. I should maybe fact check. But um, I think they said, um, you know, the, the, the magic number is eight and eight is a lasting amount of time so yeah. if you if you contact someone and respond and have correspondence with them or you know just constantly email someone yeah um up to or beyond at least eight times that's when you'll leave a lasting impact yeah so they were they were advocating massively like just keep emailing yeah. just you know keep keep <laughs> keep going like yeah. I wouldn't ever you know and it's something I say that because I definitely was someone that suffered from that I was quite yeah. you know I've I've really improved <laughs> a lot on my on my um on my on my skills in talking to people and you know not so long ago before this journey I was that person who always would forget to message back or I was yeah right I was the last person in a text group to message like I was really bad about it to be honest (laughs) but I feel like I've learned tons through this process and now it means a lot to me to kind of you know keep keep up with keep up with friends family and and clients yeah (laughs) so so yeah I love that I love that um, Paige, I feel like we could chat forever. Um, <laughs> we've, yes, yeah, we've gone time. so long. Um, that's okay though. It's really, it's been so exciting and informative and inspiring to listen to and hear your story and all the strategies you've used and things that you've learned. And I really appreciate all of the insights that you've shared with everybody. So generous of you. Um, where can people connect with you and find you online? Um, yeah, so that, um, I am on LinkedIn, okay. um, as Paige Wilkins and okay. then my um, job title should be apparel uh, designer and creative consultant. Okay. Um, I'm also on Instagram as Paige Wilkins design. Okay. Um, and then on there is a link to my, um, online website. Okay, great. And we'll well. link to all of that in the show notes. So you guys definitely check that out and say hi to Paige and thank her for all this amazing information she shared. Um, I would love to end the interview with the question that I ask everybody at the end. And I'm going to put a little spin on it now that we've changed to freelancing exclusive content. So if you've listened before and you prepared your answer, I might throw you off. Um, (laughs) It's similar, 
But <clears throat> what is one thing people never ask you about being a freelancer in the fashion industry that you wish they would? Um, oh, that I wish they would. It's quite funny. I have a few that I wish they wouldn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay, throw out one of those just for fun. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Um, probably... <laughs> I've had just it's more so probably not even the question itself it's more just the tone I've like oh. had people say like oh how's your little freelance gig going oh <laughs> yeah you know my full-fledged career yeah it's going really well thank you oh right they really like discount <laughs> what you're doing like oh you're freelancing oh great you're making two dollars a month <laughs> yes 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 or like quite you know quite often people you know, um, calling in the middle of the day on a Thursday and they're like, Oh, I just assumed you'd be free. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) Oh no, I'm sorry. I don't have time for like a 30 minute chat right now. (laughs) (laughs) As much as I'd love to, I'd never want to turn that down, but yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's, you know, just something I think freelancers accept and I appreciate them all for it because it's hard. Um, but no, sorry, back to your actual question. Um, probably just, um curious to know how maybe all sides of the business work not mm. even just design because I think you know no no fault of anyone who's not in the in the fashion and art industry but just you know I think people can assume you just you know look at pretty colors all day or, yeah. or play with fabric or sketch yeah. by hand but um yeah just maybe <laughs> some more questions around oh so like what kind of software do you use for your you know your bookkeeping yeah. or you know what kind of um how do you manage your social media or, you know, just maybe something a little bit more exploratory yeah. um, into the, into the our lives. Yeah. Mm. So we didn't talk about any of those things. Um, I'm not going to dive into them now because surely we'll just chat for like another hour. <laughs> um, you know what we'll have to do though? We'll have to do a catch up in like a year and see where you're at and, and see how your little freelancing things going. I'm just kidding. That was really snide. I should not have even gone there. Um, <laughs> No, but see like how much major ass you're continuing to kick. And I know there is so much, I mean, you've done phenomenal up until now. And I know there is even more growth for you. You are so, um, such a talented designer in person and, and really being smart about the way you're approaching a lot of things. So I know that things are just going to continue to, all these seeds are going to continue to grow. Um, and that's the last (laughs) cheesy thing I'll say. (laughs) <laughs> oh well thank you so much for saying that and honestly I think it's it's people like you Heidi and your guests that uh you know keep us inspired and also keep us um feeling supported as well I yeah. think it's such an industry where you can feel a bit isolated yeah. um and alone so it's platforms like this that I think are really great so it's been such a pleasure to be on here and to be speaking with you <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of the successful fashion freelancer podcast Thank you so much to my awesome kick-ass guest and student in my Successful Fashion Freelancer Program page. And thank you to Mark and Tara. Mark, my husband, who does all the tech and editing behind the scenes. And Tara, my right-hand badass, kick-ass unicorn of everything who does so much behind the scenes to help with the podcast and everything in the business. Um, It would not be possible, all the things, without you, Tara. Thank you. You are awesome. And again, thank you so much for listening. I am so excited to have you here and to be focusing the show exclusively on freelancing. You guys, I am insanely passionate about this topic because I know for me, after having a brand and after working as an employee and then finally finding the freedom and flexibility that I wanted to work in fashion and, and doing it as a freelancer, 
This was life changing for me to go from working crazy, crazy hours and getting paid nothing to working a comfortable amount of time as a freelancer on projects I was really excited about and having the flexibility to travel and go to yoga whenever I wanted and, you know, pandemic aside, um, and go grocery shopping in the middle of the week when it's not crowded. Like it's really the little things in life that can make a huge difference. Um, and that, uh, freelancing is how I found that lifestyle. And I want to help you guys do that as well, which is why I am now focusing all my content on freelancing. Super, super excited to do that so I can help you get the freedom that you want in life, whether you want to escape the corporate politics from a full-time job or just earn some money on the side and finally be in control of your own schedule in life, I can help you do that. I grew from zero dollars to six figures. This was before the pandemic and remote work was the norm. And now since the pandemic, freelancing is even more accessible for a long list of reasons. Um, And it is truly the future of our fashion industry. So I want you to jump in now and get started. The best way to do that is to head on over to sohuddy.com slash freelance for my best free resources. They are just for the fashion industry. And yeah, check those out. You can get the direct link by scrolling down to access the show notes to click on through. You can also find any of the resources that we talked about in this episode in the show notes as well. And I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate each and every one one of you out there. I hope you are having an amazing day, whatever it is you are doing right now while listening to the show. And I will talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Freelancer Podcast. Bye.